Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles Halloween Special. This week we explore urban legends, the movies inspired by them and the all-important musical accompaniments and soundtracks. I'm your host, Angela Martin, from the band Bug Eye. And I'm your super spooky host, Paula Snow, also from the spidery band Bug Eye. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be bothered to do that voice anymore. No, I can't. Um, I feel like it's straining my voice and I think I sound like some kind of deranged, trying to be sexy housewife. <laughs> <laughs> That's the future, folks. <laughs> Shall, shall I tell you the spookiest thing about you? Oh, go on. You're called Paula Snow. Yeah. You've got ginger hair. Yeah. But you and you were born in August, so nothing to do with snow at all. All the colour of snow, the wrong month, everything. It is the wrong month. Thanks, fans. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't born in August. Anyway, oh, we've God. got an absolute cracker of a Halloween special for you here. I'm really excited to do this show. Me too, me too. So we're going to be talking about films, as I mentioned, and the, the music accompanying the films. Also known as soundtrack. Yes, that's that's the word <laughs> I was looking for. Thank you very much. But also coming up on the show, we've got some top tunes by a band called Magic and... A band called Border. Yeah, so make sure you check that out. And I think that Magic Mountain... As I didn't mean to put a pause there, but <laughs> they're called Magic Mountain. I think, you know, it's they're quite apt for this show, actually, and you'll understand why a little bit later when I when I talk about them. But um but Paula, how have you been this week? Very good, thank you. Oh well that was that was over really quickly, wasn't it? Abrupt, one. short and sweet. And how have you been this week? I've been, you know, given it is the month of Halloween, one of my favourite celebrations mm-hmm. of the year, that and Christmas. What I live for. Yep. It's pretty sad, isn't it? But yeah. It's Halloween month, though. It for is you. Halloween month, and I have been between doing like work and looking after a child, I kind of watch things in like short snippets, and mm-hmm. I've been trying to get in my kind of uh, Halloween horror film fix for the month. Because face it, you're supposed to, that's the only thing you should be watching in October. No, have you been watching? Is it called I'll Be Gone in the Dark? What's that? It's about the, what's his name, Strangler? <gasps> the Night Stalker. Yes, yeah, it's about him. Ooh. It's brilliant. It's about, um, well, it's not about him. It's about a woman, like a normal kind of everyday civilian who gets completely obsessed with a case. Oh, yeah. It kind of takes over her life. Like, she's written a book about it. There's this a is Netflix Ma- isn't series. This, um, is this Mich- Michelle McMara? Yes. She's a real person. Yeah. It's she's the, a real person. It's, it's the not a crime fi- thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. it called? Not Drunk Women Solving Crime. Uh, my favorite murder. Yeah, it's her from that. No, she's not from that. They talk about her. She's that's oh. Karen Kilgara, and um, oh, I thought Georgia Hardstar. I got super excited. I thought it was her. No, they've they've talked they've talked about her. Anyway, and Paul Holes, who was also it's involved to- in the whole it's DNA totally thing. brilliant. Like I, the worst thing though, they've taken it off Netflix now, and I had about an episode to go. Oh, I need I need to watch that. You need to find it. It's brilliant. Or maybe it wasn't on Netflix. Maybe it was on something else. But anyway, the series is gone. 
Yeah. I think I'm going to have to pay cash just to see the end of it, but it's brilliant. Highly recommend it. Well, we're hardly spending cash on, on anything, anything else at the else. moment. No. Fair enough. Okay, exactly. anyway, back to the show. So we've got tales from film. From we've got film. tales from urban legends, and we've also got some readers' messages. Yes. Yeah, because let's that's, that's face facts, right? So the premise of this show is pretty much most horror films are inspired by campfire tales and urban legends of old. And before we get into some of our, I was about to say readers, nothing to read on this show because we do the reading for you. You just sit back and listen. Um, Paula, what is the scariest kind of urban legend or story that you heard as a kid? I think, to be fair, it probably isn't the scariest, but it's one that kind of always sticks with me because I heard it so many times. I know when we were kids, we used to go to this place called Fair Play House which, for those who don't know it, was this kind of residential retreat somewhere out in Essex, I think. And it was this big sort of old country barn cottage. I don't know what it was, but between the ages of basically 7 and 14, I think it was, kids went there for either like three days or a weekend or whatever, did loads of outdoor activities, canoeing, catching mice and weighing them and drawing them and all the kind of stuff that I you have don't no do in you. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but obviously, like if you're between, you're either a young kid or a young teenager away from home, sharing like a dorm type dormitory thing, you know, eight bunk beds or whatever, you set up telling ghost stories in the evening. And there was totally this one do. called Jenny Red Eyes. And I'm sure even if it's not Jenny Red Eyes, pretty much everyone's going to have a version of it. It was a girl who kind of went mad and set fire to her family or something, as I recall. No, no, no. It was, well, I mean, I'm sure there's various. Uh, versions of the story but the, how I remember it was um Jenny Redeye was because it's a kind of old manor house mm-hmm. but not like a grand Downton Abbey no. manor house like it's a, very 1980s MFI style well, isn't I don't it know, I don't know I think it was older than that it might have been 1800s actually no no but I'm, I'm talking in terms of the kind of decor oh the decor was terrible in it but um yeah it was kind of the, the way that I remember the story was that Jenny Redeye went crazy for some reason, like she she saw red, she was in a rage. Hence, Jenny Redeye, um, and m- murdered her whole family with an axe. Okay, um, but she dragged one of them up to the roof, and and killed them. But then came out of some sort of trance and was crying. And then and then I heard she chopped her own head off. But I think that would be quite a feat to be able to do that um, without having a guillotine. I mean, I don't know, like kids from east london can imagine a lot (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's that's how i remember the story and i remember getting in trouble through um sitting at the top of the stairs to the the kind of exit out to the roof and we weren't supposed to be up and i was telling ghost stories to a girl called sam and um she was so freaked out she went and told the teachers and i got in a lot of trouble one for being out of bed and two for scaring the crap out of Someone of your mate, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not very good at telling ghost stories, so you know, she must scare really easily. So then, stick to the facts, stick to the podcasting. Ah, but I also remember that the one thing that you had to look out for was to see her, you know, a glowing red eye. Yeah, they were always the kind of fire exits, though, weren't they? For Christ's sake, come on, (laughs) be realistic now, folks. Oh, brilliant urban legends! And basically, I put a shout out. Only two days ago, said, oh, does anyone have any stories to share for this special podcast? Admittedly, I should have done this a good month ago mm-hmm. to give people Given time. Given us time to collate so as well. So I was really surprised. And to be honest, I think that if people come, 
email in late and because i had um someone asking about actual real short short stories um and i think we could do like a bonus after halloween <laughs> halloween the second. if we get if we get if we get some halloween too that's a film isn't it halloween two. i think there's halloween three. i think it's like halloween six or something ridiculous like that but i do have um some very short and sweet when i say sweet you can judge if they're sweet. Um, In the sickly sense. Tiny ah. little tales. They tickled me, some of these. When I say some of them. They tickled um, you. Three. I'm going to read you three three of them. Well, no, because I just... So, John Ridge from Braintree in Essex emailed in saying, Creepy story. It's very short. And you'll understand how short this one is. When I read it out. Someone keeps leaving pegs on my doorstep. Just a single peg. Each peg is a different colour. Why? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't know why they would do that. Someone's fucking with you. But it is the sort of like small little thing that you go, who who is doing this and why? And should I be worried? And what dickhead is coming to my house every day to leave me a freaking peg? <laughs> You'd set up a... Well, I don't know. Would you set up a camera? Would you be bothered? But it must be just one of those things as in... I'd, I'd honestly start thinking, have I gone sleepwalking? Yeah, am I losing put, my shit? Am I losing my mind here? Do I have a secret stash of coloured pegs? <laughs> I would like to know if they're the same ones that are in his house. <laughs> that would be a good point. Maybe it's someone in the house. Damn, Gina, it. I should be a detective. <laughs> but, but John, if you if you ever find out, please, please, please. Just, we're happy to do like a follow-up. You know how crime watch you like episodes down the line. Because <laughs> obviously this is a serious crime. Um, stay safe, John. Keep your eyes open. Uh, watch out for pegs. Um, next one is from, she didn't say where she was from or her full name. Um, Christina146. I won't read out the rest of her email, but that was the name that came through. Um, so what did she say? Uh, oh, yeah, she she didn't really have a story to tell. Just Just a... Just a comment. She just said, uh, she once lived on the same street as the Wests. Ooh. Rosemary and Fred West. I don't, I actually think you need to say more than that, really. Ooh, but did you have I any? I think that's enough said. I know. Did you live there during the time? Did you ever I, speak to I them? I think that comment implies that she did. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a bit weird. That's and then, sinister. Yeah, I thought that was that that kind of when I read that I was like, oh, that is that is quite creepy. But um, the third one is from someone called Hannah Young, not the Hannah Young that I know, because this this one lives in Alabama. Okay. Um, when I saw the name pop up, I thought, oh, hello. But no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's another story. Um, yeah. So Hannah Young from Alabama. So I just want to shout out to people in the US who are listening. Big Hello. Up. Good luck with your elections, Hello. lads. Good luck yes, with your best elections. Best of luck. Make sure you listen to and uh, stream and buy and all of that jazz. Tiger Mimic's single um, King of Machines that comes out on the eve of the elections. Um, it's political, but with a glimmer of hope. So, yeah. But the last story, um, which is from Hannah Young, and she posted a link from frillist.com, and I'll put it in the show notes because it's really long to read out. Oh my god! I didn't even print out the story, did I? I'm sorry. That's really shit. I didn't. I didn't print. I thought I pasted some of the story on here. I just pasted the link. That's really not helpful. 
Come back to it. So do, I'll come, do a separate I'll come, podcast and put it underneath. Well, I was thinking more of just reading it after something okay. a little bit later. When we listen to some songs, mm-hmm. I might just actually pull up the details because it was quite interesting. Um, well, that's still to come later in the show. That is to come later in the show. Gosh, you've got so much to look forward to, haven't you? Um, so I guess a good place to start is is with, um, you know, demonic possession. If you're going to start somewhere, I think, yep. you know, let's go dark and heavy. Mm-hmm. Although all horror films really are never that cheery, are they? Oh, I've got a classic that's a little bit cheery. Have you? Okay. Brilliant, mate. Okay. Um, so do you recognise this bit of music? Any idea? Definitely recognise it. And it just sounds like every kind of crime drama to me. It does sound like something's wrong. Well, I think... (laughs) (laughs) Just in life, if you ever hear that music, something's wrong. wrong. You don't need to wait for the fire alarm. Just wait for that bit of music. Something's wrong. (laughs) I've often heard that music just pop up in my life. (laughs) Run! But don't answer the door because we all know what happens to people who answer the door. So the music was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. And do you know which film it belongs to? The head spinny one. Yes, but it has an official name. Exorcist. That's it. Well <laughs> done. Well done, Paula. Look, we all know my horror knowledge is not the greatest. Well, <laughs> no, no, but, you know, hats off to you. You didn't know anything about Star Wars and you, you know, you know, The Exorcist. Great. So The Exorcist <laughs> came out in 1973 and was deemed sickening, corrupt of, of morals. And um, it was hateful and pretty much a very... I've put a pheasant viewing. I don't think I meant to put that. <laughs> Hateful and not a very pleasant viewing. With the part um, she's not getting involved. <laughs> no, no pheasants were harmed during the making of it. But, you know, they might have done. There's there's pretty some, some gruesome tales behind this film. But anyway, it had supposedly provoked fart, fart. Oh, my God, farting. Supposedly provoked vomiting, mm-hmm. fainting and heart attacks in cinemas. And probably some people did a little bit of a nervous fart as well. And a nervous um, pee. Yeah, so the church tried to ban it, of course. Um, I think it was obviously the scene where the character Reagan violently masturbates with a crucifix. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's never going to go down well in the house of God. With the old popey, really? no, no, probably not. not. Pope, yeah, not, not particularly happy. So they, they actually tried to push for it to be banned, but it wasn't banned in cinemas. But the director's cut was banned from um, being released on video, though. So they had a small success. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know when that ban was lifted of the uncut version? I'm going to guess 2007. That's not bad, actually, if you guess, because I thought you would think, like, I don't know, mid-80s or something. But no, it was in 1999 and it was given um, an 18 rating. Have you seen the director's um, cut? Yeah. Does it compare Does it compare massively I don't think I ever saw the, ori- the, the original, okay. really. Like, like When I say the original, I mean, obviously in 1973 I wasn't born. But um, I remember seeing The Exorcist, mm. but I don't really remember it like version to version to go yeah. oh well that bit's different i think it's the ending that's different on it anyway anyway digress um, yes uh did you know the original trailer of the movie was banned though from several theaters so the teaser sort of consisted of several flashing monochrome images that many viewers actually found just too frightening as in like stills 
Well, I think it was just like, you know, if a demonic face flashes mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. there was supposed to be all like subliminal messages and things like that. And people just felt really anxious watching it. Were you supposed to watch that trailer with the White Album playing backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, probably. Anyway, the idea of um, spirit possession isn't new, really. You can find it in most religions. But I think this film certainly kicked off the sort of subgenre of horror, or at least took it to new new heights. Mm -hmm. And that music did as well. And he is known as like the godfather of horror music, that whole kind of arpeggiator, almost sort of, if you think about even Halloween, the do 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 do, yeah. all inspired by by this track. So it, it it kind of really influenced horror movie soundtrack music. Um, so The Exorcist was um supposedly based on real life events, and I've bullet pointed these so I don't ramble too much. Um, apparently there was a rumored exorcism that took place on school grounds of Georgetown University in 1949. Basically, a schoolboy aged 14 attempted to contact his dead aunt using a Ouija board and ended up being possessed by demonic forces. And then there was like the the whole kind of exorcism that took place. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know the full details on it. I'm sure there's a Wikipedia entry. And not long after that event, in 1950, a person named William Peter Blatty graduated from Georgetown University and wrote a novel based on the 1949 exorcism. And the novel became the source of the movie. Really? Yeah. Just to go off on an absolute tangent. How long is this tangent going to be? Oh, it's just a yes or no answer. Um, Was Georgetown University the university that Devo went to? No, that was Kent State. Oh, okay. No, but but I see that would have been great. Would you? I love those coincidences. That would have been. Oh my god, that would have been good. Omg. Anyway, carry on. As mentioned, the music's memorable with this film, um, and as I said, it was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. And a little bit about the song: it's an instrumental song that is more than twenty-five minutes long, but the opening credits obviously are not Mm twenty-five minutes long. And Oldfield began writing this when he was just 17 and recorded and released it when he was 19 years old. And I think that's quite an accomplishment, obviously. And it wasn't just that song, it was like a whole album. That's bloody impressive. What I also think is impressive is that one song's about as long as our whole album. (laughs) (laughs) The great thing about this song as well, it shows his talent, is that um, Oldfield actually played most of the instruments himself. There were no synthesizers. The main theme was a combination of organ, grand piano, glockenspiel formed into a tape loop and pitched up by sort of speeding up the tape. So, yeah, quite experimental and a lot of bloody hard work went into that. For someone 17... 18 years... Oh, sorry, I was going to say 18. 17 when he started writing yeah. it, but, I mean, 25 minutes, I mean... Epic Yeah, that is, that is quite <laughs> epic. Uh, so Mike Oldfield wrote, wrote most of Tubular Bells on an old piano. That piece of music went... On to win a Grammy and it's placed in history, as I said, as, uh, you know, the theme tune to one of horror's most shocking and controversial films of its time. And still still quite controversial. I think it stands the test of time. All right, some of the effects are not great, but I still think you watch it and you feel it feels very sinister Mm -hmm, without, mm -hmm. you know, all of the glamorous... um, special effects that films are laid with with these days it's still still you know a creepy story is a creepy story um so apparently the film was cursed did you know that i'm not surprised i've got some creepy facts go on 
some creepy facts for you. The set that was used as the home of Reagan McNeil's um, burnt down and when a, when a bird flew into a circuit box, so it was a massive fire on set, the only room that remained completely untouched by flames was the room used for the exorcism scenes. Wow. I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things, if it was in the middle of a whole blaze and there's no rhyme or reason as to why it wasn't burnt, then that's spooky. But if it was like, oh, well... It was in the know, West Wing and the fire yeah, was in the yeah, East Wing. Yeah, you know, wing. in Lot 67, that burnt down, but the one on the other side of the studio didn't, then that's not so creepy. Anyway, the shoot was hit by further tragedy when a series of deaths rocked the cast and crew. Jack McGowan died tragically before the film was released on January the 13th, 1973. Was that a Friday by chance? I don't know. It's the 30th, not 13th. Oh, sorry, I heard 13th. I know you Can did. Can you imagine? Right, yeah. That would have been amazing. No, it wouldn't, it's not amazing that he died, obviously, <laughs> but... But died of complications from influenza, which he contracted while in London during a flu epidemic. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. His character was killed brutally in the film after the possessed child, Reagan, threw him out the window. With that one, I think, well... It wasn't the set that was thrown into turmoil, was it? Because the film was done. Someone died after the film had happened. That happens, right? Okay, so let's Fair go on. Fair point, well there, made. There's, there's nine deaths in total, but I'm not going to read them all out because a lot of them are like 20 tenuous, years later someone links. died. It's like, well, of course. But, um, they Burton, were 97. Yeah, exactly. Burton Heyman died of, a heart, of heart failure a few years after the film was released. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like in his 50s, so that was kind of early. So I thought... You just about scraped onto the one. list for me. I'll include that one. Linda Blair was plagued with frets by people who believed she was the devil. Now, Linda Blair was the, the little girl mm-hmm. that that played Reagan, and, and basically people believed the film, and they believed she was possessed. So she ended up having, even after the film came out, like the studios paid for her to have security guards go everywhere with her because... She was being threatened. They had no concept this was a work of fiction. No, no, no. Well, that's what wow. I think with this. It was just like, you know, people hadn't seen anything like this before. Um, and I'm pretty sure the yeah. fact that the church waded in as well didn't help that situation. Well, ex- exactly. And I mean, a few other people died of heart attacks years later. But, you know, hey-ho, we all die, don't we, at some point. Um, Sunny as always. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> No, but seriously, right. You know, I don't, I don't think that's to do with the... Fit. If it was immediately after... You might go, ooh, but like years and years later, you know, everyone smoked in, from the age of like two or something back then and drank and didn't really watch their cholesterol or anything like that. But anyway, um, but there are some super awful things that happened behind the scenes in the film. Um, so in in the film, uh, when Reagan throws her mother across the room and she hits the wall and you hear her scream, all of that is actually real. She threw someone across the room. Well, yeah, because it was part of the film. So she had to throw her mother away from the bed um, in her demonic voice Mm -hmm. um, and threw her across the room. But what actually happened was the actress um, was actually quite seriously injured um, and suffered permanent damage to her back from the incident. Really? So when you you see that bit and you hear her scream, that is actually real. Legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, she really did hurt herself. On set, other people injured themselves as well a carpenter cut off his thumb a lighting technician lost a toe Ooh. i mean i don't know were they common things to happen i was gonna say i mean is that like because outside of the 
statistic. I can't say it. Statistical average. Mercedes McCambridge, right, who voiced the demon because the little girl didn't actually do the demon. Um, another actress did, yeah, and she never got credit for the film. She had to actually take them to court and threaten to sue them because she was the voice of the demon, which is a massive, bulk pretty part. big part. Yeah, and what she did was she'd she'd basically like smoke loads of sick. She made herself sick, mm-hmm. and then after she was sick, she could speak like that. So she kind of put herself through something really. Bloody horrible. Severe method yeah. acting there. Um, but yeah, they, they didn't credit her. Like I say, she had to take them to, to court to sue them. And now she does have a credit. But anyway, Mercedes, who voiced the demon, faced tragedy when her son murdered his wife and then took his own life in 1987. Um, Jason hell. Miller, son, um, young son, was nearly killed when he was struck. I think he was on a beach and struck by a motorcyclist that seemed to appear out of nowhere and hit him. Wow. So, um, was the exorcist cursed? I mean, it's hard to say in that kind of situation. Is it a curse or is it just people tying things together? I think probably not, but it still makes for quite a spooky tale. And there's there's loads of films out there, like mm-hmm. Poltergeist. Yeah. Not that I'm covering that. I'll cover that one next year. But, um, Planning but yeah, that's, I mean, that's got real creepy stuff associated with it, as is my next film, but I'll come on to that in a minute. But anyway, I've got a question for you. As this is the month of Halloween and you do love a horror film, yes. what's your absolute go-to fave? Oh, I don't know. You know, it changes. Yeah. But I, I do think that I have to at least watch. I always try some new films and I've watched um, The Lie and Hereditary um, this year, that I wouldn't say they're the best films in the world, but they they weren't they weren't awful as hor- mm-hmm. as, as um, horror films go because a lot of them are just gore fest shit. But um, those were quite good. But I always have to watch a Friday the Thirteenth film from okay. the series, probably one of the early ones, and Halloween. And again, Halloween, one of the early ones, maybe even the Trick or Treat one, which is totally off piste. I think it's Halloween. I want to say Halloween 2, but it might be Halloween 3. But it's one where they there's the music. Eight more days to Halloween, silver shamrock. Spoiler alert for anyone who wants to watch that film. Just don't listen to the next bit. But it's the one where the kids sit transfixed watching the advert and they all go and buy these special masks, like the fashionable Halloween masks mm-hmm. that year. And then on the day of Halloween, when they put them on, um, they're watching this hypnotic thing on TV and then all these worms inside the mask come out and eat their brains or something. And that's the end. Oh, well, that's just saved an hour and a half of my life. Thank you very much, Miss Martin. Oh, and the original Children of the Corn. That's oh. terrifying. The remake was shit. <laughs> Absolute shit, as most remakes are, actually. <laughs> there you go. You have art. Get a you new ha- take on an urban legend. You have our Miss Omar's top three rundowns of Halloween films and her verdict on the remake of Children of the Corn thrown in for free don't say you don't get value for money on this podcast (laughs) and I'll happily be a film critic for for any anyone that wants to have me I'll even do it for free (laughs) I think you have to get above the it's shit (laughs) (laughs) my descriptive I think I think you've just got to say it how it is like you can go on and on but it's like yeah that's really good or Shit, I think sometimes that's all you need to know. It's shit, don't waste your time. All right then, should we wrap up the old um, film critiquing and play some music? Yeah, I think so. I think, for therefore I am. Uh, Yes, do you want to play yours first? Yeah, why not? 
So I'm playing a track called Strangers by Leicester-based Border. Um, this was a song that they have recorded the bass, guitar and vocals themselves in their guitarist's house. Um, it's been inspired by characters that the singer Lucy met when she was working behind a bar, when she kind of felt that she was being used as a part-time therapist. But anyway, I've waffled on enough, so here's Borders and Strangers. So that was Border with Strangers. Really love that track. I think it's absolutely cracking. 
It's really, really nice. I like the vibe of it. When I say really nice, it's got that kind of darker edge. Yeah, I think the guitars it. in it are absolutely banging. I think that's what I really like about it. They're really, really great. Do they have an album or anything like that? Like, where can we hear? Uh, they're definitely on Bandcamp. You can check it out there. They are signed. I think that that has been released as a single. So do go buy it. Go to Bandcamp as always. Go and give the bands the money if you can. Do it on the is it the last Friday or the first Friday? Yeah, it's of the next month. week. It's next week on Friday. So the the first Friday, because I keep getting this wrong, yeah. which I should know this because we're in a band By ourselves, heart. but the first Friday of every month, Bandcamp are kind of wavering their fees. Um, so although that won't affect you, it just means the band get 100% of all of the sales money. And that does actually make a difference yeah, absolutely. to bands. But otherwise, you can find them on all the usual, the usual, usual socials, <laughs> the usual suspects, yeah. Uh, Facebook, they're at Border. On Insta, they're Border underscore bands. They're on Twitter. And also, interestingly, as this is Halloween themed, I asked them to tell me something they liked about Halloween. And their favourite film is Hocus Pocus. Oh, that's that's brilliant with Bette Midler. Total classic. Yeah, I love there's um there's a fantastic version of I Put a Spell on You in that film. <laughs> I love I love that film. That's actually that's something I need to watch this month because it's a kind of non-scary Halloween. Halloween Halloween three witches themed. Oh, and the witches of Eastwick. Oh God, the list is ongoing and Halloween's only on like when is it? This weekend, isn't it? It's Saturday. On Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Time is running out. Have you got a costume? Uh I need to get one sorted actually for Friday. Mm, there you go. Why what are you doing on Friday? We're doing not dress down Friday at work, we're doing dress up Friday at work. Well, I think dressing up in any sort of costume. So what what are you feeling to do this year? Not sure. It's going to have to be a little bit of a last minute. And given that we have to wear face masks all the time, I think it's just going to have to be like eye makeup based. Could you not just wear a mask all day? Like, I don't know. With a face mask underneath? That's going to be Well, no, just well, the mask would be your mask, wouldn't it? No, I don't think that's going to be manageable. No, you don't not think in the kitchen. so. Okay, anyway, should we get on with another yes. story? Go for it. Okay, so I'm talking about well, I'm talking about two of my favourite films in terms of horror genre, and I'm not a big horror genre person. And the first one I want to talk about came out in 1987. Any ideas? Um, could it be... Oh, Stephen King put out loads of stuff, didn't he? I don't think you would have gone for Christine. It's going to be a famous film, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're all famous, those those ones. Um, oh, the Shining? No, I'm actually coming to that one later. We're going a bit later in the 80s. And in this one, I'm going to 1987 and talking about The Lost Boys. Oh, amazing, amazing. Love that Total, film. total Thou brilliant shall film. Not die. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant film. So it came out in 1987 and capitalised on a temporary lull in horror movies. Um, it's it's so 80s centric though and it is so tied into its soundtrack and its kind of film score although it's more the soundtrack that I think it's known for rather than the film score well it's almost like the horror version of the Goonies isn't it really it is and it was originally um, conceived as being a bit more like the Goonies and having a lot younger kids in it but when they kind of got to the dark parts of the script they were like can't have seven year olds doing this can we so they went for more of like a kind of teen sort of brat pack type thing and it actually um it, as we know, it stars both Corey Haim and Corey Philbin, which yep. went on to become like sort of the two of the kind of sort of quintessential 
brat packy type characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in loads, loads of it. Stand by me. Yep. Yep. And I'm trying to think of something else. <laughs> Racking your yeah. brains. They had they went on to have a show called The Two Quarries as well, which I didn't realise they did actually. But we're getting off topic again. Um so it's totally like heavily musically influenced, kind of like sort of those sort of videos. Like musical videos of the 80s are very in there. All the costumes are super sort of kind of glam, rocky, over-the-top, vampire-esque. Um, the original score was written by someone called Thomas Newman, who'd also who's also worked on Desperately Seeking Susan, The Shawshank Redemption, and, and American Beauty, for which he won a BAFTA. It was conceived as like an eerie blend of like orchestra and organ movements, but the soundtrack's completely the opposite. Like it's out-and-out mm-hmm. out sort of 80s pop music, and then... Some bloody amazing covers in there as well. Well, the opening one of the doors, yeah, song. That's that's great. Who who did the cover of that? That was Echo and the Bunny yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably one of my faves. I mean, like it's it's kind of like a shortened version of the original, but it's a lot more sort of kind of happier, lighter, bumpier, but with like sort of sinister undercurrents of it. it. Yeah, it's 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 the opening thing, isn't it? When the mm. people are strange, when they're strange, because they move to that place and they just show the whole kind of culture of the town, the mm-hmm. seaside town they move to. And it's, yeah, it's great. The seaside town was actually based on Santa Cruz, but the people or the, the municipality, what would you call it? The kind of council government, whatever the equivalent okay. is in America. Didn't want it. Didn't want to be known as like the land of death. So that's where it came. Santa is it Santa Alma in the film? It's Santa something, but it's definitely oh based. Oh God, on there's, Santa a, there's Cruz. a big, there's a big, there's a big sign, isn't there, on mm. a billboard and some spray painted something on saying, I don't know, something something grim about it. And um, there was also a duet, 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 duet. <laughs> what is going on today? Duet. <laughs> Between NXS and the um, former Cultures or lead singer. Jimmy Barnes, which was a cover version by a band called The Easy Beats. Uh, the song was called Good Times, and it was originally done to promote their kind of sort of dual tour of, of Australia. Okay. But I don't know how it ended up on the sound, on the Lost Boys soundtrack, but it did, and it fits wickedly within the film. But I'd say probably the strongest song, and the one that's probably best well known, is Cry Little Sister, which was written by Jerry McCann. It's a goth-influenced mid-tempo ballad, apparently that he wrote when he was approached by Gary Limel, who was the president of music at Warner Brothers, who asked him if he'd be interested in writing a theme show for this a theme show, a theme song. <laughs> for this, a quiz show. <laughs> a theme show. Uh, all a theme the song for this new upcoming vampire movie. And the way he'd always worked previously was that he'd always watched at least part of the film. But for this, he was just sent a script. So he just kind of took all the vibes from what was going on within the script and it came out really well. I mean, he said he didn't really want it to be about vampires in particular. It was more about the feelings of being lost and torn and taken away from your family. Okay. Which I think is something that really is conveyed really well within the song. Um, He also said that he definitely had an emotional connection as he was living in New York City at the time, which was in really bad shape. This was kind of the sort of mid to end 80s. Mm Mm-hmm. He said it was much like goth, a Gotham-like place in very dark times. The song had been brewing in his head with a choir chorus backing me. The choir ended up being um, like a choir of children, and it's been described as being sung by what sounds like disembodied children. Yeah, yeah, but that's 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 the song that I was singing. Yeah. The, Thou shalt yeah. not kill thing. It's, yeah. Which is like kind of sort of super eerie in a way, and yeah. it kind of definitely resonates with you. 
after he'd written it, he almost didn't get to perform it though, because the record company were like, no, 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 we want to have some big, big star singing it. Someone like Phil Collins, who I cannot imagine singing that song for the life of me. Did they did they just want a British singer in it and they hadn't really looked at who Phil Collins was? I mean, I don't and... know why they'd want a British singer, but I don't know why they'd arrive at Phil Collins either. Oh. But that song's also gone on to be sampled by Eminem and also been covered really? by... Yeah. In You're Never Over. Okay. And it's also been covered by Marilyn Manson. That doesn't surprise me, but I didn't know that. No, but I think Marilyn Manson would do a great cover of that. I need to find it and have a listen, actually. I mean, weirdly, also throughout the film, there's kind of references to music within the kind of cinematography. Is that the right word? cinematography, yeah. Go me. Go Paula. I mean, there's a poster of Jim Morrison, who originally recorded People Are Strange, obviously. And then when Star and Laddie are being carried into Sam's room, there's a poster of Echo and the Bunnyman, who covered cover version for the film. Yeah. And I really love things like that. There's like little hints of things around. There's also a very, very 80s scene of of where Michael, mm-hmm. um, who who becomes a vampire later, obviously I think people have probably seen this film, but if you haven't, I don't think I'm giving too much away. Someone's going to become a vampire in it, aren't they? Um, and he sees the girl star. Who, who, you know, it's like that love at first sight moment. But it's over this kind of 80s band with this guy who, who's got his pecs out and he's like oiled up and he plays the saxophone. He's got his hair slipped back into a ponytail. He's obviously supposed to look like some kind of gorgeous love god, which now you'd look at and go, ew. Mother, who is he? Because he recorded a song for the soundtrack as well and I Did can't he? remember his name. Oh, that's so annoying. And he and he does have a cameo within it. And that is the cameo. So anyone listening, if you know who that is and there's a story behind it, please do let us know. Um, because I, yeah, I'd be, when we finish these shows, we kind of put the, the, the notes into recycling and. Uh, On to the next. Yeah. So it would, it would be good to know. No, but I love this film. I think it's so 80s. It's 80s down to its core. It clearly didn't have a big budget. I mean. There were scenes they had to cut because they wanted to have vampires flying and they could only really afford to do it twice. (laughs) The contacts that the vampires had to wear were so cheap and so hard on their eyes, they could only wear them for about two minutes before they started crying. And there's a famous scene where one of them looks up and starts, it looks like he's actually crying and that's what's supposed to happen. It's Keith Sutherland. That one. He's actually crying because his eyes are like melting underneath these contacts. It's it's a good film. If you've never seen it, go watch it. If you have seen it, Halloween's a perfect time to watch it again. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Just for the costumes alone. The costumes, all of it. Just, yeah, brilliant. Comic, comic book shops when they were a thing. The and, comic book yeah. shop in there is actually a bookshop as well that still stands to this day. Uh, is it? Yeah. Random trivia's coming out now, it isn't is, it? It is random <laughs> I like that. That's that's uh, that's that's that lots of good facts in there that I didn't know. So that's the Lost Boys and my tribute to it. Right. Well, I think I think actually before we have some some more new music, I would like to read out the story that I mentioned. The Alabama but then didn't. And I'm just going to have to find my notes on what she actually sent me. Um, who was it? H- Hannah Hannah Young from Alabama sent me a link and said oh you should read this and then she had her own comment about it but um i didn't paste the story into my notes so i'm just going to read it very quickly but this um so it's from a site called frillis.com she shared this link and the story is titled um alabama 
dead children's playground. Okay. Um, it's not very long, so I'm just going to read a little bit of it. So it's why it's creepy. The eerie playground adjacent to Maple Hill. Not sure if you know that. It's Huntsville's oldest cemetery. Doesn't just have an eerie nickname for fun. The playground was presumably designed to entertain kids while their parents visited the graves of loved ones. Um, legend has it, though, that the spirits of children who've been buried in the cemetery since the first grave was dug there in 1822 come out to play at night. The living have obsessed... Have, not obsessed. The living have observed, even, orbs of light going down the slide even sort of seen swings moving on their own and heard children giggling. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Creepier still, some say the spirits include victims of a rash of child murders that happened in the 60s when bodies were rumoured to have been found in the area that now houses the playground. Mm. Where it came from, the playground itself wasn't opened until 1985, so you can imagine how much percent up energy of tiny spirits had after 163 years without a slide (laughs) um in 2007 the city um tried to raise the park to make more room for graves and remove the slides and swings overnight after public outcry it was replaced with more modern equipment making it slightly less creepy to look at and also probably resulting in happier ghosts Happier ghosts. Happier ghosts. And what she says, what she says about it is, um, uh, she says, take a look at this, darn creepy. My my grandmother had seen the orbs, and when I was a kid, she took me there on my birthday, (gasps) as she thought it was significant or some shit like that, that I might be able to channel some spirits as a kids. Um, sorry, as kids are supposed to be able to be more susceptible to the spirit world. What a birthday present. Yeah, she said, hey, it was the 80s, a generation of latchkey kids and leaving babies unsupervised in prams outside stores. What are you going to do? <laughs> that is bloody brilliant. Thank you for sharing that with I us. Think, I think that's awesome. I think we've all got like ridiculous stories of things that our parents or grandparents did. If you're from a certain generation, that now you'd go, what, what on earth? Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you, Hannah. I think that's got to be my... Fa- I'm not sure what wins... And actually, I don't know that it was meant to be a competition. Um, Pegs or Alabama, I think. I'm going Alabama all the way. I think Alabama. For, for, for the fact that there was a story, a full story there. Absolutely Pegman, brilliant. you win if you can come back with more detail. Um, and hopefully something that has a, a bright outcome, not like a sinister twist. And we're not talking primary colour pegs here. No. <laughs> right, okay. So I'm actually going to talk about... Um, what should I do? Because we've got two more stories. Should I do my next one's really Go short? Go for a story. So, should we do a story and then music? Yeah. I think, yeah, let's do that. So, I'm going to play you again a snippet of music, and I want you to tell me, Paula, um, queen of like film knowledge, not. <laughs> um, but you must know this. You must know this. This is horrible. But um, I'm going to play this for you. So, one second, let me put it on. Anyone 
any idea what film that's from? Lord knows. It's some sinister Georgian monks or something. It's, it's not Georgian. It's, it's sung in Latin. Um, it's fucking horrible is what it is. I think it is the most creepiest bit of music um, you can hear. And, and obviously there's, there's other bits of it that I think would um, stand out more. But that, that bit, oh, well, all of it is horrible. But it is the theme tune, the theme tune, which sounds like it's really fun. But it's show from, tune. Well, exactly, you know. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> no, but it's a show tune from it's which a film? show tune. Um, from the film The Omen. Ooh, never yeah. mentioned it to that one. Too it's terrifying. Arv Santiana. Satana? Satana, yeah. Arv Santiana, Satana, Satana. Yeah, that one, Satana. They don't sing it like that. That was Ave Maria for those that know it. But, um, yes, so... um. Of Satana is the theme song from the film The Omen that came out in 1976, composed mm-hmm. by Jerry Goldsmith. The Omen won the Academy Award for Best Original Score, and uh, that song was nominated for Best Original Song. Uh, the the one of the few sort of foreign language it was in Latin mm-hmm. that that's ever been nominated. Actually, it's fucking brilliant, but fucking horrible. Um, it's it's Latin and it translates to Hail Satan. Oh, so there that, we go. that sets the tone, doesn't it? Um, but but sets the tone. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All you need to know about it. Um, and apparently it was like a play on. They basically took common sort of not common, but like sort of popularized popularized like it's pop music, but like famous hymns and music mm-hmm. and taking those phrases and sort of reverse them so you know Ave Maria this being of Santana and um and then they've they've got other other kind of sayings in it where it's all like reversed as to being a negative as to to a positive to the holy trinity or or whatever um but Gerald um Golds, Goldsmith was born on February the 10th 1929 and he sadly passed away back in 2004. He was an American composer and conductor, most known for his work in film and television scoring. He's composed a fuckload of stuff, right? So mm-hmm. films like Star, Star Trek fan, franchise, it's his work. He did um, the Rambo franchise. He also did Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Total Recall, Air Force One, LA Confidential, and The Mummy, to name but and a few. And The Mummy. Yeah, so in short, film score world, bloody successful. Don, absolutely Really, done. really good. And The Omen itself as a film, um, as I said, was made in 1976. Um, it's kind of a British-American film. You've got a cast that's mixed. Yeah, I think it's, it's, no, it's, I don't think I know. It's set in Britain, mm-hmm. um, in, in bath or bristol or around that part of the world um it's a supernatural horror film directed by richard donner and written by david slitzer slitzer i'm terrible at pronouncing names you know wait till i'm up next yeah exactly i've got some crackers starring gregory peck lee remick david warner harvey spencer stevens and billy whitelaw as well as a, a few a few other people in there um, and it, the plot kind of follows Damien Thorne, who's a young child replaced at birth by an American ambassador 
unbeknownst to his wife, after their biological child dies shortly after birth. As a series of mysterious events and violent deaths occur around the family and Damien enters childhood, they come to learn that he is, in fact, the prophesied Antichrist. So there's the famous scene of him on his trike where he's cycling along and he kind of deliberately swerves into his mother who, I'm not really sure why, is on a stool close to a railing, which is never a good idea, mm-hmm. um, hanging like a goldfish bowl with fish in it. As like, you do. As you do. And anyway, she falls over and oh, it smashes and she doesn't die, but she's freaked out. But the there's fish the whole... die, no doubt. Well, yeah, sadly, sadly, fish were lost in that. And I think they were in real the fish. Of. I think they were real fish as well. So I think fish did actually die. But um, And also the scene of the 666 behind the ear. Mm-hmm. That's like a kind of tattoo thing. And I did want to look up whether that appeared in folklore in general, the number 666 behind the ear. I mean, I know 666 mm-hmm. is the devil's number and seven is, is a godly number. But, but I can't why think six, why. Do you know why 666 is a devil's no, number? No, and I need, I need to look that up. Well, I don't need to look it up, really, do I? But, but you will. Um, but I will. So it's not a need. It's like I'm interested. But um, if someone else wants to look it up, I'm happy for that to happen as well. But, um, but yeah, so so there's there's lots of, like, really creepy horrible things where I suppose today it would be a play on like you know there's something about Kevin mm-hmm. where it's like is yeah. the child you know nurture or nature but this is definitely a case of the child is influenced by the staff that are you know uh satanist satanist is that the word yeah satanist satanist Yep, worshippers, although I heard that... Satanic Yes, satanic, that's it. Satanic worshippers who are there and influence him um, throughout. Um, And, you know, the the child does stuff, but I don't think the child's necessarily aware. If you watch the series of of films from The Omen, it's him in his teenage years also discovering... Anyway, that's going off piece. Back to this film. Um, So I've just shuffled up my notes, stupidly. So I was going to start telling you about the other film again. But uh, now I've only got a tiny bit more to say about this film. Here we go. Right. So did you know the film title changed twice before they agreed on the omen? What do you think the names were? Child of Satan. Close. Anything else you want to put in the, the mix? Satan's Child. No. It was first called The Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Then they changed it to The Birthmark. The birthmark. <laughs> that was a fucking awful title. Don't really think that conveys. <laughs> Got a scary mole. <laughs> yeah. Got a freckle on my left forehead. <laughs> no, I think I think they 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 did good. I think the Antichrist is just too off. It gives everything away. Where the film has that kind of. I mean, you kind of know that's the case at the start, but I don't know. It's like the omen is there's there's many many signs there's no mm-hmm. yeah i quite like the title it's much much better than the other two um but yeah i'm just gonna go through sorry if you heard the paper shuffling there um some scary facts for you. Then. um so basically it's considered a cursed film like the other film mm-hmm. but this one i think does have some some weird stuff okay so on a plane to la 
from sorry on a plane from LA to London, Gregory Pre- oh my god I can't even speak it's that time of the evening Gregory Peck's plane was struck by lightning over the Atlantic okay that alone you go okay. eh, happens oh, my plane's been struck by lightning before you know my, my private plane of course I have um, weeks later executive producer Mace Newfield also left LA lightning struck this plane too to which uh, Newfield says, it was the roughest five minutes I've ever had on an airliner. Wow, yeah, rough times. But anyway, it gets it, it gets, worse, gets worse. gets worse. A hotel at which director Richard Donner was staying got bombed by the IRA. He was also struck by a car. So he got hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and his hotel got bombed during the time of creating this film. Um, then... Gregory Peck cancelled another flight to Israel because there was a scene where they go to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, the plane he would have chartered, um, but he obviously cancelled it, uh, actually crashed, killing everyone on board. Now, you think as in, okay, my plane being struck by lightning and it being a bit of a shitstorm and pretty scary is one thing, but something very close to that where he could have actually died mm-hmm. is, you know, I wouldn't get on a plane again, would you? Well, I mean, come on. You know, they're all of threes. Well, yes, exactly. But uh, so in Holland on Friday, oh, no, have I missed one? Do, 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 do. On day one of the shoot, several principal members of the crew survived a head-on car crash. Ooh. So there was also a massive car. So lots of crashes, potential crashes and a bomb. Right, very close together. That's that's kind of not a common thing, I would have thought. But it gets worse, right? In Holland on Friday, August the thirteenth, nineteen seventy-six, designer Richard Richard sorry John Richardson was travelling with a female companion, Liz Moore. The car crashed, and when Richardson came to, he saw something rather chilling. Liz was dead with injuries bearing an uncanny resemblance to the ones he had prepared for David Warner. Now, basically, what it was was she was decapitated, and mm-hmm. David Warner in the film is decapitated in the same sort of way with an accident with a sheet of is it a sheet of glass, I think? Anyway, as he looked out of the window, though, the sight chilled him even more when he noticed a sign which the, um, had the distance to a Dutch t- town reading Omen, So that's pretty creepy. And I got those facts from Silver Screen Critic, which is a WordPress sort of site. But uh, there's plenty of other sites and YouTube videos that also have the same... The same stuff. I just liked the way this was a bit more condensed for me to to read out. Concise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Lovely. Um, but like, it is classed as one of the most haunted sets of all time. And to be honest, I think the tragedy, tragedy, even that followed tragedy. Um, it all seems a bit fucked up, doesn't it? I think that is quite creepy. Yeah, definitely. But then I would say, you know, there have been so many films now about you know Satan and devil worshippers and possession and. Children, I mean, Rosemary's Baby, which apparently also has some some creepy stories behind. But you know, I think with with Hollywood going to town on, you know, possessions and and stuff like this, I think maybe the devil and spirits have just like chilled out, as in, fuck it, man, this is ten a penny. We can't keep pulling all the tricks out of the bag to do all this <laughs> sinister stuff because it doesn't seem to be a thing now, does it? That you hear these 
these stories. But uh, but yeah, so that was that was it. That was my dipping a tiny baby monkey toenail into into the omen. The omen. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Well, I'm I'm pleased that that you you liked that, Paula. I did. Yes. Having never seen the film, I've now got a a tiny little weenie monkey toe understanding of it. You haven't seen again remakes. Don't fucking watch it. Rubbish. Really? Yes. There's a remake of the. Why? 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 Like remaking a film that was already brilliant and doing nothing really different with it. But just trying to go, oh, well, you know, we'd just remake it. It just doesn't work. Do they not put any better effects in it, at least? Well, probably. But that's just because you've got the capacity to do it now. Yeah, you're not, change, you're not adding it anything better. to it. But also, I just, I just find there were some great actors in there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't over-glammed up. And it wasn't over-the-top production. I mean, it was a great production. There's also a story, actually, that... The scene in the park where all of the um, in Longleat Zoo, uh, which also dur- during the time of filming, um, a zookeeper was killed by a lion or a tiger or something like that. But during the filming of like where the monkeys come on the car and they're, and, mm-hmm. and they're all freaking out, they actually did freak out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think it's it's sinister in in the devil type way. They basically got a a gorilla or a chimpanzee or something tranquilized it put it in the boot of a car and then drove it through the monkey compound and they could obviously sense that there was something not right in the car and absolutely freaked out that just wouldn't happen now i hope that wouldn't happen now that's a little bit sinister itself isn't it well yeah i think you know lots of fucked up shit maybe like supernatural stuff but also humans being cruel really so there you go all right, let's not stick on that sound no. note. Shall we shall we listen to some glorious new music? Yep. Just can Who are you playing for us this week? I'm playing a band called Magic Mountain and it's they they describe their music as with tales of infinite space, otherworldly escapes, hazy dreams and weird feelings that weave together the supernatural. I thought they were pretty apt for this week. Supernatural um, loving it. Exactly. They're a power trio with colossal riffs and entwining harmonies and wild distorted energy. They've also got a debut album out now called Weird Feelings. Um, they've they've been doing great things. They've been played on Radio One, mm-hmm. Six Music. They played at Latitude Festival. And for those that don't know, that's a massive UK festival. Um, they also played live at Leeds and, and have done all sorts of stuff. And I I really like their stuff. I listened to one track, then I listened to another, and then I just ended up buying the vinyl version of their their records. And uh, I was pretty torn as to which which track to pick, actually, because I f- first of all thought the creeper was yeah. oh it sounds Halloweeny. Um, then I thought oh no, but Infinity Times Two's really fun. But then I sort of thought well I want to give the best kind of view of what the band's about and like a kind of good song, solid song. That's also a single that I think really does show what this band is and does, um, is a song called King Cobra. So I'm going to play that one for you. So here it is now. (laughs) 
So that was King Cobra by Magic Mountain. So what did you think? Absolutely cracking. I mean, like that intro is just so big, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's... Thing, thing that I like about them is this kind of like almost like chorus of vocals that seems to mm-hmm. sort of swell in their songs, and then they've got like the kind of continuous sort of rhythm. But then there there is those kind of big riff bits. Yeah, that come. it's all like a riff, but it just feels really fat and warm and luscious and garage rock. There's kind of American influences in there. It's I mean, like for me, that just makes you think, I want to see this band live because it's going to sound absolutely massive. Yeah, anyway, so that was Magic Mountain, who I'm probably now going to become their number one fan because I really, really like them. Cool. Great. Where can we find them? Socials? We can find them on all social medias. Um, out there, they are definitely on bang, bang? Bandcamp, where you can buy their vinyl, which is which is pretty cool. Um, and they've also got all of their sort of digital downloads from there, and they've got all the songs that I mentioned as singles, so you can download those. They are on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, and the way they smell magic is M-A-G-I-C-K, and I'm going to double-check that just to make sure I got that right. Magic Mountain. Yeah, Magic Mountain Band. Yep, that's exactly. So on Facebook, they are... Magic K M N T N. So make sure you check that out. And on Bandcamp, it's Magic M A G I C K. But I will put links um, on social media to all of the stuff. And they've also got, um, I just noted some great videos. They've got a video of them playing Zodiac at Latitude in 2019. And then also from them playing at Leeds um, in 2019, live at Leeds as well so you can you can check out their their stuff live but on twitter they are magic m-a-g-i-c-k-m-n-t-n so yeah make sure you check them out awesome definitely will do so should we go on to the last film here on with the show yes so here we go and i am talking about what i think is probably one of the most terrifying films ever and it's not a traditional horror film, I get that, but it scares the living bejesus out of me. It was released in 1980, and it is Stanley Kubrick's... Kubrick's? Kubrick. Kubrick. <laughs> Psychological horror, The Shining. Love it, love it, love it. From from even the aerial shots of and the doom, doom, the, the music of mm. the car driving it. Oh, so much beautiful sim- cinematography. cinematography. Yeah, I mean, it's it. absolutely brilliant. It's based on Stephen King's 1977 novel of the same name. Um, interestingly, Stephen King actually hated this adaption of it. I don't know if you know that or not. Really? Yeah, he thought it was all kind of like showpiece with no soul. Kind of, no, it was something, to, the quote was something to do with a car, but it's basically like a car equivalent of all fur coat and no knickers. Um what I didn't know, though, that it was filmed in Elstree Studios. I didn't know that either. And in my honest opinion, I think it's cinematically brilliant. But I think it also comes with a deeply, deeply eerie soundtrack to it. Yeah. And it's the complete opposite of The Lost Boys. This one doesn't re- like doesn't rely on any kind of big sort of poppy or cover songs that, that you can sell it on. It's all just like music that's kind of been written for the music, for the movie, rather. Um. Wendy Carlos, who yeah. Grace covered in one of yes. our episodes, reunited with Kubrick on this. She'd worked with him previously on Clockwork Orange, but she reunited with him and, well, I don't remember the first name, but Elkind? 
Okay. I want to say Rebecca Elkind, but it's not. It's someone else Elkind to write the score for this horror film. They spent the time to read like the whole book as per Kubrick's suggestion because he was a sort of a super controlling producer. Yeah. And I think that's like not something that's unknown. So they'd read they'd read the book for it. They wrote, recorded like an absolute shit ton of music. But in between them writing the music, Kubrick had been using set pieces to kind of for the actors to kind of get a feel for the scene and what the kind of music was going to be. And he ended up using just two of their tracks. Oh, really? Yeah, which is really, really poor. One of them was the main title theme, one was something called Rocky Mountains. The title theme was a reinterpretation of Dies Array, which is a, sec- a section of the Symphony Fantastique by someone called Hector Berlez. And his work has been described as, you know, he tells it like it is. It's like you take a trip and you wind up screaming at your own funeral, which I think when yeah. you think of The Shining, that is definitely the vibe they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he only used two of her tracks prompted her just to say she's never going to work with him again. Like, she was just done. Yeah. I don't think she was partic- treated particularly well in a clockwork orange. She seems, from what I've read, an incredibly difficult director to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some issues around, legal issues around her work, because she was basing it on other people's music. But a lot of it made it onto her two-part uh, compilation rediscovering the lost scores so okay there obviously weren't too many issues around it he just decided for whatever reason not to use it mm-hmm. instead preferring to rely on two avant-garde eastern european composers one of which was Giorgi leggetti whose music has been described as a teeming horrifying vastness unearthly intensity the sound of the other the alien the supernatural yeah although initially naughty naughty his work was used without permission Really? I, yeah, I think that kind of stems from the fact that when Kubrick was directing the scenes without the music that he thought he was going to use from Carlos, yeah, he was relying on music that, that had already been produced, so was just using music as fillers, thinking that he wouldn't use them okay. in the end. But I guess as the filming process went on, he decided that this fitted quite mm-hmm. well, so he decided to use it. Hadn't got permission, but by the end of it, it kind of had it sorted out. I'm guessing if you're a composer who's got Hollywood knocking at your door, maybe you're going to be... A bit hesitant, let's say, to say no. Well, exactly. I suppose. I mean, it doesn't mean it's right. But the thing is, I think it must be quite difficult that if you're if you're planning a kind of score to 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 kind of pay for those rights up front. Like if you're planning mm. it and you're slotting music in and going, oh, that fits. That's wonderful. And and that you've got to do what's right for the film. Yeah, but I also right? guess you have to bear in mind he'd commissioned two people to write the score for this film, didn't yeah. use their music, chose to go with the people whose music had used to inspire a scene, or at least in one case. Yeah. Anyway, it's what happened. The second, and probably like he had the biggest contribution to the film score, was a guy called Christoph Penderecki, who also worked on The Exorcist, actually. Fucking, yeah, creepy, creepy-ass films. Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's amazing. He wrote, He wrote the... He wrote, he wrote a lot of pieces in the, within the film, but he wrote also wrote the closing scene music, you know, where they're chasing around the snow oh, maze. Ev- ev- everything about that film just makes you feel claustrophobic, isolated and trapped. Like, all of the, the visuals, the mm-hmm. music, everything just makes you feel really anxious. It's perfect, the way that it's done. It's perfect. It's awesome. And in that scene, he's actually layered several tracks of music on top of each other. Oh, okay. Um, 
Well, most of it's taken from the second half of one of his pieces of music that he wrote that I can't remember the name of. It's, but it was written for like strings and percussion and choir. But he compared the orchestral effects to like the to trying to get it to sound like electronic music. Yeah. So he was just like layering it, stretching it, recording it live, but then manipulating it so much that yeah. it became something that almost doesn't really sound like it's being played by mm-hmm. the instruments it's being played with. It's also overlain with um, a text taken from Orthodox Christian, yeah, r- like writings. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I think what's quite significant about this film and the way that music's so 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 important to it is it ends on a like the way that it just ends on a piece of music, yeah, rather than like any kind of dialogue. I mean, I think you know, The Shining, like as we've said, visually, it's amazing. It's out of this, but I think it's still the test of time really well. It's out of this ballpark, but the soundtrack as well, you know, like from the popular songs of the 1930s, as they're kind of reverbing around that empty hotel where you see the twins for the first time. Oh, God, the twins. Sorry, whenever I think of the twins, I just think of our friends Rick and Paul <laughs> at that fan stress party where, so it's basically these, these, um, our friends, these, these, um, guys with beards, they dressed up as the twins from The Shining. Hello, Danny. Um, it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, like, that is hilarious. <laughs> but those twins in the film are super scary. And, like, the scenes of Danny, like, pedalling that little tricycle around yeah. the hotel mm-hmm. on his own, like, in the 1930s. And it's kind of, it's not even the songs they would be played. They're, there's so much reverb and distortion kind of, put, I don't know if it's distortion, but it's like reverb put on them that lends to a super yeah. eerie tone. I think it's not just the music they picked, but what they did with it and how they controlled it. It's almost like they've been played it. through like a gramophone or something like that. It's just this like nostalgic sort of, the, the way that they, that they kind of give it this sort of sinister edge that even if it's a, a song that's... Joyful. Awful, yeah, exactly. It becomes, it's just that there's a, that level of reverb in it that it makes it... It is like sort of saying you're in this echo chamber alone. And that is so much what the film is about yeah. that I think that's using that tone on those songs makes so much sense mm-hmm. and just adds so much to the film. And then you go to the sort of the outdoor scenes where they've got these really distorted string, like string music playing. Yeah. That's just been, it's almost like the strings are being scraped and it's like you can't bear to be outside because you need to be inside. Just, and that sort it, of leads to the claustrophobic It's the fear. most clever use of um, music. I mean, it's not like the only film that has, has done this, mm. but I think it achieves that the music is so important in that film. You would not have had that, that sense of trepidation um, and anxiety and tension that builds without that music and it's not like the obvious going like stuff it's like this the dun 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 like just mm. the building foreboding music that's really just looming above you it's um yeah i mean like and you can't you can't deny that the few bits that of wendy carlos's electronics that are in there and the kind of the ghostly layered vocals over the top of them really really add to it yeah of course of course um, they do and that whole kind of way of working with music and sort of distorting it and stressing it and particularly using it within cinema and in the kind of sort of, I guess, horror genre as a whole does yeah. it quite well. It led to a new label coming out called Hauntology, which really? was coined, yeah, coined by Simon Reynolds and Mark Fisher. 
who were a music critic and a theorist. But for me, like whatever you want to call it, like hauntology describes the music in The Shining so well. And so I don't good. think as much as I love like the visual appeal of that film and it is absolutely blinding I do not think The Shining would be the film it is without the music behind it no absolutely not the acting was incredible though and did you know that um Stephen King also disliked the choice of Jack Nicholson as the lead really yeah he believed that like kind of Jack Nicholson from the start sort of portrayed the character as being a little bit crazed Mm -hmm. where what he wanted was someone who was like normal wonderful and everything and it was just the hotel and the ghosts influenced him but i think i think they hit the nail on the head with with him because i think it showed that it's someone who has this kind of is mentally fragile Mm -hmm. like they they have this ability to to kind of they've got a bit of a temper and they've got this kind of fragile sense of how they can be influenced and how mm-hmm. it can swing either way. And it's that fine line, isn't it? It's like yeah. someone who is perhaps um, domineering in a relationship, is a bit of an aggressor, and how that can swing the other way and what those triggers might be to, to push that. I'm not talking about, like, life in self or, or mm-hmm. justifying anyone's actions. I'm talking about in the context of the, the character film, of the film. That it's a case of, you know, you've got this couple that's together and how that dynamic starts off like exactly how it ends in the film, but it's brought to the extreme mm-hmm. by by the end. And, um, you know, it's... I think he was great in that. And the, the line, here's Johnny, apparently that was just made up on the spot. It was, but it was taken from a quiz show. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Ah. And Kubrick didn't realise that at the time, and that's why I think it ended up in there. But you know that scene? Yeah. Where he puts an axe through the door. It yeah. took three days to film and 60 doors. Jesus, I suppose you've got to get it right. It's like if it takes too long to hack down, it's like, oh, cut, let's do it again. Yeah, but I think, or- look, Let's be real, from what I understand about Kubrick, he's a little bit of a control freak and it's either absolutely perfect or it's not. Yeah. I want to know how they did the blood scene. You know when oh, you see the, the blood going that took one day through? and three takes. <gasps> how did they do it though? I don't know how they did it, but that's oh, how long that's... it took. Because like, as we said, my main man, the director yeah. here, <laughs> and such a perfectionist. But I think for that scene, it was just a case of they had to go for it. I mean, it took them 12 months of planning to do it. Yeah. But they had one day and three takes to get it right. So because you're that, talking about the elevator door. Yeah, yeah, elevator, the elevator door. Lift, lift doors. Lift. <laughs> but where the blood comes through yeah, yeah, yeah. cascades. Yeah. It's just, oh, God, it's horrible. Well, that wraps up another Rock Pop Rambles that for does. you. That does. That does indeed. So if you are someone who wants to donate via Patreon, because this does cost us money to run this show, and we would actually really like to get a producer on board, please do, you know, Put your hand in your pocket if you can. Come over to patreon.com slash bugeye. And we have a host of um, unique unique content, like The Shining. Um, no, uh, we have exclusive content on there. We're also planning a bunch of live shows and um, filmed live content that will only be available on Patreon. So if you join us on there, you'll get access to all of that merchandise, music, all sorts of things that that you wouldn't get otherwise. So in thanks for your donation. So if you can, come and join us over there. But if not, that's absolutely fine too. Thank you so much for um, listening to the show. It's so nice to see our numbers grow. And 
also like to say a massive thanks to bands for letting us play their tracks and um, borders and um, magic mountain yep that's right magic mountain cool uh yeah massive shout out to you guys thank you so much for letting us play your tracks it's a big part of the show and we love to play some new music so thank you listeners do go and check them out they're absolutely ace and we hope you enjoy this episode over and out